Welcome to the 5 o'clock show. It's time for common sense. Now, it's Cats and Cosby with John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby standing for truth, justice, and the American way. Bringing common sense to the world. Now, here's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Well, it's Wednesday and uh, so many things are happening and... Uh, uh, in the studio with us, we have uh, Congressman Peter King, Judge uh, Richard Weinberg, myself, Rita Cosby. Are, are you? Are we slowing down for the holiday, or what are we doing? No way. Are you kidding me? Uh, and of course, uh, coming up, we're going to be having um, Governor Chris Christie, John, who's going to be talking about this. Well, first of all, obviously, there's a lot with Israel. This uh, hostage exchange, uh, the hostage release, and the retired FBI guy talking and about. Uh, Niagara Falls. Uh, Niagara Falls. Wow. Slowly I stepped. This is really scary because they're looking at it as a potential attempted terror attack. The truth is nobody knows what the truth nobody is. Nobody knows. No, yeah, yeah, we will know the truth in a matter of hours. And they, then, they will know if it's explosive device. Yeah. That's because they can hide. check the car. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, or the electric battery blew up. Frank Moreno, uh, I was listening to him at 2 o'clock in the morning. I uh, couldn't sleep. Uh, and... Uh, Today is what? Today or yesterday was the 60th Today anniversary. Is, today is the 60th of, uh, anniversary. John F. Kennedy. Uh, to, uh, and uh, there were some new revelations, but you know, he, he did a one-hour interview. I'm going to do a seven-minute interview and see if we can get down to the bottom. We'll line. get the we'll get the basis. And also, yeah. there's some new details about uh, the death of George Floyd. That triggered all right. the riots and yeah, everything else. There's a new else. documentary on that, very important documentary. It was mind-blowing, and yeah. the woman who produced it is going to be joining us. Um, and, John, by the way, I think the reason you were up was because it was an amazing event last night, um, and you were there with Margo Carnegie Hall. and My Andrea. God, I never thought I'd be on, on, on stage with Carnegie Hall. We had 3,000 people. Packed. Uh, every seat was packed, and, and I understand that, I mean, we made the announcement about uh, we are talking to the Chinese government about pandas in New York. Pandas and, uh, for peace. I love that pandas line. Pandas for peace. <laughs> Instead of the generals shooting at each other, how about pandas for peace? And, and uh, look, I don't know anybody who doesn't love pandas. They're beautiful animals, and and that would be go a long way to having a little bit of peace between us and China. And also bringing tourism. You brought up a great point. A lot of people million, would come. 10 million tourists would come to New York and we need the business. And by the way, uh, I think uh, at least 10 million might have been in Carnegie Hall last night because, John, it was packed. I love the shot. You were speaking there. Um, Andrea was speaking. Uh, she uh, my did daughter a great Andrea was job. on stage. Margo was on stage. Margo was Elizabeth on stage. Elizabeth Wang did a, a great uh Job and it was for the, the U.S.-China Cultural Foundation and Red Apple. It was a night of cultural splendor. One of my favorite moments, John, I've known you a long time, but watching it and then seeing the big banner up, and then I panned, I'm like, oh, my gosh, every rafter, there's like three or four rafters, were filled. It was, it was. you guys did a beautiful job. It was wonderful. Well, I went along for the ride. and uh, Well, I'm glad I went along for the ride, too, because it was I really understand, great. I uh, understand we have... Uh, uh, the former uh, New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, and of course presidential candidate Chris Christie, uh, Governor. It is so great to have you here, and um, let's get right to it with this case. Of course, with Niagara Falls, everybody's talking about. Um, what do you think, and how concerned should we be? I guess about terror threats. We've heard just uh, you know all the way from the FBI director to, of course, the New York governor saying, of course, with what's going on in Israel, the threat level is just high, be on guard in general. 
Well, look, I, I think first off, we shouldn't jump to conclusions on Buffalo. We don't have any any solid information yet from law enforcement on whether it was terror attack or not. In fact, there seems to be more information about the fact that it was not a terror attack. Um, and it seems kind of odd if you're trying to attack the U.S. that you'll be driving from the U.S. to Canada. It would seem you'd be driving in the other direction. But <clears throat> we'll see what happens, and I'm sure law enforcement will investigate it and figure out what it is. That's the Buffalo incident. But when you have the kind of things that you have going on around the world in Israel and in Ukraine, we always should be on higher alert. And we can't believe that we are immune from attack here because folks like me and you and John, who lived in New York on September 11th, 2001, know that we're not. And so our, we need to be strong around the world to send a very strong message to our enemies that uh, don't mess with the United States of America. And the weakness that Joe Biden has shown around the world, I think, and, and, the, and the isolationism that's being advocated by people like Donald Trump and uh, Ron DeSantis and Vivek Ramaswamy, those things combined um, make us to be much more of a target than we would be if we were strong and engaged. What about the border, too, uh, Governor Christie? Because I, I am... I am so livid about how open that border is, and especially at a time with all these things that you're talking about. It is so downright frightening. There is more than a million gotaways that have come under President Biden, the ones we have zero idea about. And I keep thinking, um, you know, just how porous the border is. There's a lot of them that have been on the terrorist watch list. How concerned are you about sleeper cells already here? Because it, sadly, it, it seems like it may be a reality. Well, very concerned about that, Rita, and, and for good reason, because we don't know and we aren't controlling our border. And look, this is a failure that's happened over decades, over decades. Barack Obama was not strong on enforcing the border. Donald Trump told us he was going to build a wall along the entire border and Mexico was going to pay for it. We got 52 miles of new wall in his four years and Mexico didn't pay us a peso towards it. And now we have Joe Biden opening up the border even longer. We've had three failed presidencies in a row on the border, and we're paying the price for that now. That's why we need a common sense, smart approach to closing the border. Increase our Border Patrol officers by 10,000. Uh, double the number of detention beds to 80,000 that we have at the border. Um, triple the number of immigration judges so we can move these hearings along much more quickly and can detain people until they get their hearing. Um, we need to get the National Guard down there on day one of the next administration um, to work with our Customs and Border Patrol officers who are overwhelmed. And then we need to make changes to the immigration system so that we put um, the folks who have skills that we need in this country to the front of the line to fill some of the six million vacant jobs we have in this country and grow our economy to a 5% GDP growth so that we can really get this economy going and improve the lives of the American people. That's a common sense way to do it. Ron DeSantis saying he's going to shoot people stone cold dead at the border is TV tough guy stuff. And he's now even said he's going to build a wall and have the Mexicans pay for it. Um, look, we, we were wrong to believe it eight years ago and it didn't get done. And now Donald Trump's even said that he never had a way to get Mexico to pay for it. So let's stop with the TV tough guy stuff. And let's have a common sense approach to the border that will actually get it done. Let's go to Congressman Peter King. You were Homeland Security, your congressman? Yeah, listen, I, I agree with the governor. I have no idea whether or not this was terrorist or not. It seems it's leaning toward an accident. Having said that, 
we can't fall into a lull here. This, if, if it's not today, it's going to be tomorrow, next week, or next month. Governor, I think you'll agree. I'll, we are really ripe for a terrorist attack. Also, I would like to ask you, when you're out there campaigning, do you find I, – I share your concern about uh, the isolationism. Do you think the voters will make the connection between Ukraine, Taiwan, and uh, Gaza? I mean, all of this, to me, is coming together. There's an unholy alliance with Iran, Russia, and China. Uh, look, Peter, you're exactly right. Look, I, I – when I went to Israel last week, um, I went to a military installation where they had gotten weapons that had been seized from the Hamas terrorists. There were AK-47s that were built and supplied by Russia. Um, there, were, there were rockets that were supplied by Iran, had the markings of Iran on them. And there were rocket-propelled grenades that had the markings of North Korea on them. Um, there's no doubt that what happened in Hamas is being pushed by Russia and Iran and North Korea. And look, we need our leaders, Congressman, as you know, to be making these points so the public understands it. And this is why the arguments being made by Donald Trump and Vivek Ramaswamy um, and Ron DeSantis are so destructive. They say they're America first. They're not. They're for America alone. And America alone can never be America first. We have to work with our allies around the world. We have to show our strength around the world in order to intimidate our adversaries from coming after us. You know that it was the failure of the Clinton administration to respond to a lot of the attacks that went on around the world, to not take bin Laden out when we could have, that led to 9-11. And we are in the same posture now with a weak Joe Biden in the White House and an isolationist wing of the Republican Party who would rather stick our heads in the sand and be the modern-day Charles Lindbergh than to be the modern-day Ronald Reagan. And um, we are talking to presidential candidate Chris Christie. Uh, you know, Governor... I know you were over in Israel, as you just mentioned. What do you think of this new deal that's coming about with uh, the Israeli government, which they just approved? Obviously, uh, it looks like it's going to start, I think it's 3 a.m. our time, where they're exchanging the hostages. Obviously, I'll tell you, I, you know, it, to me, it's amazing that some of them will come home to their families. I hope it happens. But it's also this drip, drip. It's like 10 and then a day of ceasefire, 10, another day of ceasefire. You've expressed in the past that a ceasefire doesn't make any sense. This is, again, just one day. But are you concerned about where this is headed and putting, you know, the, I guess, uh, option for now, Hamas to regroup, rearm? And and at what end are they going to say, okay, you can have another three, another day, another three? And where is this going to end? Are you concerned about where this is headed? Well, Rita, sure I am. But I will tell you this. I met with the families of a number of the hostages in Israel and we're talking about elderly women, young children as young, as young as below five years old who were taken. And we need to get these people home. And so, yes, I wish we were in a better position to be able to negotiate better. But this is where the failure of the Israeli intelligence community and the American intelligence community in, in not knowing that this attack was coming has led us because it allowed them to take these hostages. So I think we need to get these hostages home as quickly as possible. Now, a temporary one-day-at-a-time ceasefire, I don't believe is going to give Hamas enough time to be able to rearm in a significant way. Um, I'm against a ceasefire that is a permanent ceasefire until Israel is convinced, Israel is convinced, that they have degraded the Hamas military capability enough that they are not a clear and present danger to the safety and security of the Israeli people and the territorial integrity of Israel's borders. If, if those things are met, 
by the Israeli Defense Forces, then I am okay with them negotiating whatever agreement they want to make at that point to end the, uh, the fighting. But not until then. These temporary stops, while not optimal, are not ones that I'm as concerned about as I am of getting these hostages, many of whom, like I said, elderly and very young, um, who may not survive in this tunnel system in Gaza for much longer, and their families deserve to get them home and have answers for what happened here. Yep, understood, for sure. Governor Christie, thank you for coming on today, and I hope you and your family have a great Thanksgiving tomorrow. John, Rita, Congressman King, have a great Thanksgiving tomorrow. We're hosting 25 at our house, so we're going to be wow. busy. What time? Wait, wait, wait. What time, time do you want us over, Governor? What time? Do you have room for <laughs> a, a couple more? Rita. Okay. Rita, you're Thank welcome you. anytime. And, and King knows he's welcome, too, anytime. <laughs> what about John? John? What about John? We have Judge <laughs> Weinberg here. I know. I eat too much. <laughs> <laughs> happy Thanksgiving, Chris. Thank, happy Thanksgiving. Thank you, Governor. Uh, Thank you. Rita, let's go to uh, our retired FBI guy. Yes, we have James Galliano. He is uh, the retired uh, security and law enforcement expert still, former FBI supervisory agent. Uh, James, great to have you here on Cats and Cosby. James, your thoughts about, we were just talking about obviously a heightened threat level as we were talking with Governor Christie about everything that's going on with Hamas and all these other uh, fanatical groups around the world. Uh, we know that, sadly, New York is a number one target. We've heard from the governor. We've heard from the mayor. Uh, this is a huge concern. What do you – how concerned should we be? And also, how do you read this thing with Niagara Falls, too? Because at first it sounded like the, the FBI is in charge of it. Now they're saying, well, we're not really sure what it is. What are your thoughts on all that, James? Sure. Well, first of all, um, both John and Rita and, and Congressman King, good to join you. Um, I, I'm in the same boat that you guys are. I'm kind of taking all of this in. I know Governor Hochul is supposed to be speaking actually momentarily right now. We'll probably get some more clarity on the situation soon. When this first happened this morning, I mean, obviously with what's going on in the Middle East right now. And, and actually, and by the way, have, James, it just came out, too, yeah. that she has apparently said now there's no indication that it was a terror attack. Remember, at first, uh, yeah. everybody was saying it was. Now she's backing off. Uh, how do you is that? Yeah. Do, is there more to the story or should we take it on just they maybe uh, were overzealous? No, I, tr- I trust the governor at her word. She obviously has you know more information that, that, than we do on this side of things. But um, I'll say this, um, you know, back in 1995, after the Oklahoma City bombing, um, at the time, President Clinton uh, issued PDD, Presidential Decision Directive 39, and then followed that up and a couple years later with 62, which basically said, we assume these things are terrorism, and then we work backwards right. from that, and the FBI is obviously the lead agency. So I think they did the right thing this morning. The Buffalo office of the FBI was, was given the ticket to be in charge on this thing. You work it as if it is a terrorist attack until it's proven not to be. So they're handling it the right way. Look, if it was a car that backfired or an accident or somebody that, uh, you know, that wanted to commit a criminal act and it wasn't a terrorist attack, we'll get all that information because they're working all those things right now. But you assume terrorism until otherwise proven not to be. Uh, Jim, this is Pete Kenya. My concern is that I, I, I agree with you. It looks like this is an accident, but I hope the American people now don't see it, it, it being all over. The fact is we are still very vulnerable, probably more so than we've been in the last 10 or 15 years. Congressman, 100 percent. And obviously, you know, your years in Congress, you, you were read into these things. Absolutely. And the FBI director testified 
just last week that with what's going on in, in the Middle East, whether it's Hamas, whether it's al-Qaeda, whether it's ISIS, or whether or not it's a, a domestic terrorist organization, there are folks that want to hurt people and they want to commit acts of terrorism. And for the listeners, an act of terror, terrorism is defined as violence or intimidation or the threat thereof in order to pursue political or social aims. So it goes across a wide panoply of from left to right, all kinds of different causes, all kinds of different grievances, all kinds of different activism. So, yeah, the, sorting this thing out. Look, uh, two people are dead. Um, we, we all hope and pray that uh, if this was an accident, we pray for their souls. And if it wasn't an accident, it was purposeful. Number one, law enforcement right now has to be committed to making sure that this isn't part of a broader conspiracy because that's how these things work. Usually there are one, two, three, or four different things set up. So you want to ensure that there's nobody else out there trying to hurt innocents. And then once we're assured that there aren't anybody else out there, that this was a one-off, then you've got to work yourselves backwards to figure out who was involved. Anybody that provided material support, anybody that inspired or directed an attack like this, we got to chase them down. We have to make sure that people understand if you do this in this country, we are going to find you. Yeah, we, we understand. We love that. Thank, Thank you. Thank you James. so much for coming on. Have a happy Thanksgiving for you and your family. And uh, we'll you catch up again soon. Well. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank happy you, Thanksgiving. James. Thank and uh, let's, uh, let's take a break right now. And last night, uh, Frank Morano was talking about the uh, JFK assassination. And we'll put on Frank Morano right after this break. With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYPD. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katz and Rita Cosby. Katz and Cosby on 77 WABC. Well, we're back. And uh, today uh, is the 60th anniversary of John F. Kennedy uh, assassination. And I remember I was in uh, Mr. Balsam's English class at uh, Brooklyn Tech High School. Mm -hmm. I, I think I was a a sophomore, and where were you, uh, Judge? I, I was on my way to freshman English, at the University of Wisconsin at Madison. Yeah, so you were already I, in the university. Yep, yeah, much, was, much older than me. Yeah, I was in St. Francis College, and the uh, it was the end of a U.S. history class. And Rita, and so I was, were you born yet? I was an idea in my mother's womb, but, <laughs> but I wasn't even in her womb yet. <laughs> well, that was a coming thought. attraction. A thought. Frank a thought. Morano, <laughs> you kept me up to at least three o'clock in the morning. You, you did an hour of uh, uh, different theories on uh, JFK, updated theories. Uh, so I figured if you did an hour, maybe you can tell all our audience <laughs> seven minutes, a seven seven minute version of it. 
I'll do the best that I can, and I appreciate you staying up, John, and listening. And uh, uh, hello to everybody, and happy Thanksgiving Eve to everybody. Basically, what we did uh, this morning is for an hour, since this is the 60th anniversary, and since the one thing that's been consistent since 1963 is that most Americans don't believe the official report of the Warren Commission is, we had a debate. We had an author on Fred Litwin who does believe that Oswald acted alone, and then we had another one on Lamar Waldron that uh, pointed to evidence that suggests there was a conspiracy. I'll be honest, John, you know, I I have no idea what happened, obviously. The two things about the assassination that have never really sat well with me at the time and looking at what happened through a historical lens, I have a tough time buying into this single bullet theory. The the aspect of this that um, would have to show that Oswald acted alone is that this bullet enters through Kennedy's back, leaves his neck, goes through Connolly's back, breaks his rib, comes and hits his wrist, and then goes into his thigh. I know that you can produce experts that say that this happened. I have a tough time with this. And the other thing where the experts tell me that I'm full of baloney is if you look at the Zabruder film, it does look like the shot that uh, killed Kennedy ultimately comes from the front. Uh, I mean, we've uh, probably all seen the Oliver Stone movie where it looks like Kennedy's head goes back and to the left. Again, there's experts that say, all right, that's just how it looks. I have a tough time believing that. And I just think that the fact that none of the well, there's never been a majority of the American people that buy this, plus the fact that Congress uh, through the Select Committee on Investment investigations in the 70s, they found that there was a conspiracy. I think there's still a lot of interest in this. And I think there's still a call for a lot of the documents that are being withheld to be released. And I think if President Biden or if there's a future President Trump, if they will or future President Robert F. Kennedy Jr., if they want to restore public confidence in whatever the official story is, Everything needs to be released. I think 60 years later, there's no reason to withhold any of these documents. And uh, Judge Weinberg has a question for you, Frank Morato. Well, I want to endorse what you just said, because from the very beginning, I've always been amazed that the records were sealed by Johnson. Mm -hmm. I've always found that. Can I I ask you a question? John, why do you think the records are sealed? Well, what I was told that the reason President Trump did not unseal it is there was somebody still alive, uh, and he didn't want to embarrass the family. Yeah, maybe, wow. uh, maybe but it was, I, there was uh, no real proof in a three-letter agency. There was no real proof. Is that right? Three-letter that, agency. That person was responsible, but he was in Dallas that day, and uh, he didn't want to make accusations. Oh, interesting. So it, it but, would but be interesting you, to well, know. How many conspiracy theories have come out of this? Whether it was organized crime, the mafia, whether it was Russia, whether it was Castro, or some other. Well, I want to know. Texas, listen, Texas, wait, Texas wait, crazies. Wait, wait, wait. Hundreds. Right. Frank Morano had an update from where you had two different people or was I half asleep? <laughs> well, no, two different people. Okay. Uh, so what's your bottom versions. line? I want to know Frank Morano's bottom line. Okay, look, I think the bottom line is that as uh, uh, Robert F. Kennedy Sr. seemed to believe himself, there was an element within the government, within the intelligence community, and elements within the CIA that were unhappy with Kennedy for a whole host of reasons, not the least of with the, which was the Bay of Pigs. And the CIA had a history of working with the mob. We know this, and this has come out in the historical record. And we know the mob was unhappy with Robert F. Kennedy and the Kennedy administration for their prosecu- for their uh, prosecution of high-level mobsters and what they felt 
was uh, being ungrateful for their helping I, hand I, in the, I believe that. the election. I really believe that. Congressman King, you uh, you have your two cents. Yeah, first of all, I think there is, again, a lot of unanswered questions. But, Frank, one angle I have which is actually involving Oswald. When I was alive at the time, I was watching television when Oswald was being brought out by the police. And I've seen it subsequently in newsreels. He seems to spot Jack Ruby before Ruby does anything. You see, Oswald has sort of his head down, and he looks at toward Ruby, and suddenly his head jumps up and his eyes hold, open. Hold, hold on, Frank. Uh, some breaking news. Breaking news. WABC. Governor Hochul has just said during her press conference in Buffalo that it's not terrorism. Yep, yep, yep. But stay tuned. Uh, in our 6 o'clock news, we will know better. Frank, keep going with the... Uh, are we talking about UFOs or Kennedy? When are they? No, we have the Oswald I had mentioned. Yeah, yeah, we're talking about the Oswald. No, no, yeah, go, no, answer Pete's Congress question. Not, yeah. Congress had a good point. Yeah. Why is it that Oswald looked like he recognized Ruby? Recognized Jack Ruby, because you have so many, such a cast of characters here. I mean, Oswald, Ruby, and perhaps the second shooter. And they told Ruby, they told, Ruby had to kill Oswald. Otherwise, they're going to kill his family in Cuba. And the other side, apparently Dorothy Kilgallen had something on that, and she was... Yeah, there's a lot of like loose, yeah. and also well, by the one question I have, sort of adding well, let's to Pete. See what Morano but, says, guys, but, I know what you want to no, say. No, 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 no. You don't yeah. know what I'm going to say. What I wanted to say was they actually have. Uh, there was all this connection with the Russian agents meeting Oswald even before. That's interesting too. So yeah, you know, uh, just to, to begin with Rita's point and work backwards with what everybody else said. Um, it was interesting the interview that you did with Bill O'Reilly earlier in the week. Now, Bill O'Reilly in his book Killing Kennedy says and points to evidence that he suggests he doesn't believe there was a conspiracy. He believes Oswald acted alone. But even O'Reilly, both with you guys and in his recent interview with Tucker Carlson, couldn't explain why Oswald was dealing with this uh, top-level Soviet uh, apparatchik, uh, George Demorinchik. What was a low-level guy who everybody says was kind of a loner, sort of an oddball like Oswald, what was he doing with somebody that was one of the toast of uh, Russian society at the time? That's something we don't have an answer for. As for Jack Ruby, he is given so many different answers as to why he did what he did. Uh, I played some audio this morning of him saying, oh, this never would have happened if Adley Stevenson were vice president, and he seemed to point the finger towards Lyndon Johnson. Uh, he also claimed at some point that he was being poisoned, and he died in prison before his second trial could commence. At another point, he said he didn't want uh, Jackie Kennedy to go through the uh, the pain of seeing Oswald on trial. At another point, in a fellow that I pointed to this morning, that I interviewed this morning, he said that um, he didn't want um, the, the Jews to be blamed for uh, Kennedy's killing and that there was an element of uh, responding to anti-Semitism there. And I think what we're all talking about, whether it's the fact that Oswald seemed to have a nod of recognition to Jack Ruby, as uh, Congressman King alluded to, I think this goes to show why, even though it's 60 years later, there are more unanswered questions than ever. There's two very good new documentaries about this that explore the forensic angle. You have Oliver Stone's JFK Destiny Betrayed and the uh, Parkland Doctors, which get into the forensics. But uh, I'm glad that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is running for a host of reasons for president. But one of the things that I'm glad that he's Maybe going to Maybe you finally get the truth. And, and the fact that he but is without keeping Secret Service protection. Without Secret Service protection, will they try to kill him? Would somebody try to kill him? It is shameful, by the way, that they've turned that down twice, John, twice. 
That's not right. But, but the yeah, point- God forbid. Even Jimmy Carter, uh, and God rest the soul of Rosalind Carter, when Ted Kennedy was running against him in 1980, he immediately granted right. Ted Kennedy Secret Service protection because he knew what the Kennedy family had been through. I, yes. I don't understand why President Biden's administration well, won't extend the same term as Secret Robert. Okay. I'll, I'll sum this up by saying when you don't release all the documents, that spawns conspiracy theories. And we want to know the truth. Whether any of us live to hear the real truth, I don't know. But they have to release the documents. Uh, Frank, more, yes. Yes. Frank Moreno, your last thing before we have to take a break. I love that the one-minute gig that you that you did uh, with uh, Lincoln uh, and his uh, brother. Tell it to yeah, us, yeah. Tell it to uh, us so, again right now before we sign off and wish you happy you know, Thanksgiving. Very quickly. Very quickly, um, you know, Abe Lincoln only had one son uh, that lived to adulthood. That was Robert Todd Lincoln. Robert Todd Lincoln was with his father, Abe, when Abe ultimately perished. He wasn't with him in Ford's Theater, but he was with him when he ultimately died. Then he became very successful as an attorney and was a power player in Republican politics. He became the Secretary of War to another president, James Garfield, and he was with James Garfield when James Garfield was shot in Union Station. Then, uh, a couple of decades later, he's in Buffalo when President McKinley is shot. So he's at or near the scene of three presidential assassinations nations. And after that, um, much to the relief of every future president, he declined all future presidential invitations, thinking that he was kind of cursed to be around these. But the only reason that Robert Todd Lincoln was able to live to adulthood is because he had his life saved in a train accident when he was a boy by someone, an actor by the name of Edwin Booth, wow. the brother of John Wilkes Booth. John oh, Wilkes Booth's brother saved the life of Robert Todd Lincoln, who not only got to live to be, you wow. know, at a relatively old age, but last, he was at or near three presidential assassinations. Wow. You also had uh, people that would swear uh, John Wilkes Booth never died. And, and he, he escaped, lived to he, a, escaped. he escaped and lived to a ripe old age. What's that about? You know, there's a, a lot of evidence to suggest uh, th- that uh, it's more than I can tackle in just in just sixty seconds. But uh, thirty seconds. We, uh, look, uh, there, there, there is there is someone that claimed to be Booth on his deathbed, and if you look at the photographs of this gentleman and the depictions of Booth from the uh, the eighteen fifties and eighteen sixties, there is an eerie similarity. I'm not sure that I'm there on that one yet, but it is interesting to think about. Wow. Okay, listen to Frank Morano Frank, Monday through Friday, stuff. the other side of midnight. The other side of midnight. Bushes don't get confused with another side of midnight with, with Curtis the other two days. That's week. right. Frank, Thank great you. stuff. Thank you. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy your family. Thank you. Best to you and to Margot and everybody. And I'm looking forward to being with you tomorrow morning in the first hour as we do Sid's show. I'll come in early. <laughs> Let's take Thanks. a break. Let's take a break. Thanks, and, uh, We're coming back with. We are going to be talking. By the way, speaking of blockbusters, we have the woman who produced that blockbuster on the George Floyd death. Some new details you have not heard before. Wow. Take the break. You're commuting home. Cats and Cosby. Now, here's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby on 77 WABC. And we are back here on Cats and Cosby. Well, a new documentary is making tons of headlines. 
It's about George Floyd and the death of George Floyd. Of course, his death is the one that spurred all the Black Lives Matter protests around the country and the riots and everything else. And joining us now is Liz Collin. She is a multiple Emmy award-winning reporter, also news anchor, um, and also very close to law enforcement there in Minneapolis. Uh, the documentary is called The Fall of Minneapolis. And Liz, um, you know, I saw, you know, you kind of talking about the documentary. You had some blockbuster stuff. Let's first go to, if we could, uh, that George Floyd, you revealed, had had law enforcement encounters before. Talk about that, because that had never sort of been revealed. Yeah, there were so there were so many things um, that that were kept from from the public in this case, and that's sort of the point of this this whole film. I appreciate you having having me on to to talk about it. Um, but but starting with with just that, we're we're told right away, in fact, that the very next day after George Floyd's death, uh, that this is not someone that Minneapolis police had ever heard of before or had anything to do with before. But in fact, it was a year earlier in 2019 uh, that George Floyd himself is the subject of an undercover drug investigation. Uh, that takes place in Minneapolis and, in fact, is arrested by Minneapolis police. And we talked to that arresting officer from 2019 uh, in, in the documentary, The Fall of Minneapolis, to get his, his take. And if you share the uh, body camera video side by side from 2019 and, and what transpired in, in 2020, again, video that was kept from the public, the incident in, in 2020, there's a reason. Certainly it was kept from the public. Uh, but they're almost uh, identical in, in what George Floyd is saying, uh, not complying with, with commands. Um, he's ingesting drugs, uh, et cetera. So really the, the, the point of, of the, the film is to get the truth out there. I put out a book um, in October that was called They're Lying. Um, and that, uh, th- that you know, can only reach so many people with, with a book. So many people don't, don't read nowadays or, or find time to, to do so. Uh, so this was sort of the next step when the, the fall of Minneapolis and making it available for free so people can can just, uh, you know, hear how they, they were lied to. And certainly the, the match was struck in Minneapolis and spread all across the country. Liz, it's uh, Judge Richard Weinberg. Uh, welcome to the show. I saw you the other night on television. I was quite taken by the thoroughness of your analysis and what I thought was raising the right question. The fact of the matter is the, the body of Floyd showed the ingested a substantial amount of fentanyl that he had COVID, he had a, a heart condition. So if he had found the body in a bed, nobody would have raised an eyebrow about it. So the real question always seemed to me, what's the proximate cause of this man's death? Would he have died yeah, anyway? We, we get into that um, in, in the film quite a bit and in, in the book, but um, you have uh, George Floyd who, who, who dies and the autopsy is done on his body within 12 hours. Uh, the autopsy by Dr. Andrew Baker is his name, the head of the county medical examiner, is also kept from the public. So keep in mind, this is before any buildings are burning in Minneapolis or anywhere else in the country. They withhold that from the public, uh, which shows these things you're talking about. Um, he has a uh, he has a tumor. He has a bad heart. Uh, he has uh, covid. He has three times the lethal limit of fentanyl in his system, along with methamphetamine. In fact, uh, it's about a week later that they released the, this <clears throat> autopsy on the same day that George Floyd's family releases uh, what they call an independent autopsy that the media gloms onto, uh, referring to it as an independent autopsy. Uh, so this is really just walking people through uh, what w- what was kept from them for, for so long. And I still to this day think if they were honest about this entire situation and if they went frame by frame with the, the public as to what transpired at, at 38th and Chicago uh, here in the Minneapolis 
area, we probably wouldn't be having this this conversation today. Well, this is former Congressman Pete King. First of all, thank you for doing this. It's long overdue. Uh, if you could just focus on the fact that the assuming the worst, assuming that his knee was on the throat, that was a legitimate uh, method. But also, doesn't the film show, and you look at it carefully, that actually his knee was not on his throat most of the time? It's on his shoulder, his collarbone? Yeah, that's another one of the, the big lies uh, that, that was told. Again, it's the, the police chief, the mayor of Minneapolis, saying the very next day to, to the press. I was a, a member of the mainstream media uh, through all of this, and I, I got out of it, frankly, because <laughs> there were so many lies that I felt that the media could have stopped uh, in all of this, and they, and they did not. But um, but when they talk about this training, um, they, we, we've never seen this. This is not something, this is not how we train. But these two pages of the police manual mysteriously disappear uh, the very next day. Uh, after the George Floyd incident, and they reappear a few a few weeks later, and that that training is the maximal restraint technique. However, you still have the police chief uh, uh, on the stand uh, saying it's not a part of, of uh, training. You have the head of training saying that uh, on on the stand as well. So, Liz, and let me ask you: Did he lie on the stand? Did do do they believe somebody lied on the stand? I think there's a lot of people uh, who who believe perhaps uh, perjury was. Uh, committed, including Derek Chauvin's mother, who we talked to in the movie, who has Derek Chauvin's training manual that that clearly explains uh, the maximal restraint technique and shows pictures of it. And if you do a side by side uh, of what the officers are doing, and let's not forget in the body camera, there are four different references to this, this MRT uh, that, again, is kept kept from the public. If they would have watched this, uh, the officers are clearly talking about it. I, I had one big question from the start. First of all, if, if you did it and you say it's wrong, et cetera, but apart from that, as far as motive, if you're going to intend to kill somebody, you're not going to do it in broad daylight where 20 people have their cell phones out on you. I mean, right. to me, at worst, it should be like a negligent homicide, something like that, assuming the worst. But to actually convict him of murder, to me, it has to be some premeditation or some intent. Well, and, you're in Minneapolis. Welcome to Minneapolis. Well, it shouldn't be, though. That's the, that's the point. Well, that's well, why, a lot of things shouldn't be. And, and that's why, a lot of things are going wrong and, right and, now in and, our country. And that's why I'm glad this documentary is out, because there's some phony conspiracy theories. This is not Where is the documentary playing? It's uh, available on thefallofminneapolis.com. We made it available on our Rumble channel. I'm with Alpha News MN, all one word, Alpha News Well, if News, you send it MN. to WABC, we will put it on our website uh, if you'd like. Okay, I would uh, I'd very much appreciate it. We have uh, more than a million and a half views at this point, and it uh, has wow. been out less than a week, right. so people clearly care about the truth. So let's a, let's do this. Uh, Rich, when she gets off of our phone, you take down, give her the information how to send it to us, okay? Liz, thank you. Thank you so much, Liz. Stick with thank us, you Liz. Thank you, Liz. Go. we got to get yeah, to the you. truth. Uh, you know, whatever the truth is, the truth is. Let's go now to Bert Flickinger, and he's going to give us a... Uh, how much is it going to cost? The truth about, about turkeys. The truth I, about I, I turkeys. There's some other breaking news, Bert. I, I understand Governor Murphy in New Jersey all of a sudden says he wants all electric cars by 2035. You know, it goes back to the thing. Look, I love Democrats, and I want to trust all Democrats. This is crazy, though, but John, this is at this stupid. time. Come on. I, I, and especially when other manufacturers are saying it's not it's advantageous. Not it's not selling. I mean, this is the stupidest thing I ever heard happen in New Jersey now. It is. I, you know, I was trying to, uh, you know, believe that Governor Murphy is a common sense guy. Yeah, all new auto and, sales. And, it's and saying, all new auto on. sales in 2035. To be electric by oh, 2035. Yeah, I'll come out. Oh, damn. Bert Flickinger, what do you think? Uh, John, you, Margo, and Rita have done a great job in New Jersey saving the whales. And as you know, I do a lot of commercial solar business that said it's completely impractical 
to pass laws for But all it's stupid to do it, especially what's happening on what's happening right now. Exactly, John. It's gotta be a balance of natural gas, of diesel fuel, regular fuel, hydrocarbon fuel, uh, with solar, uh no wind to save the whales and give and, people a choice. Yeah, exactly. Uh Katsvakiti's common sense solution. Give people a choice. Don't put them in a poorhouse by making them spend an extra thirty or forty thousand dollars a car for an electric vehicle that's going to cost a hundred percent more electricity. And the manufacturer, it's Richard Weinberg, and the, the manufacturers are losing money on every car. Are they making it up in volume? Losing big money on every car. Weinberg, <laughs> right. you're completely correct. Ford Motor Company which tried to outlaw AM radios in all of its cars and Detroit-made competitors, is losing thirty to 40000 per Ford electric vehicle. Ford did not go bankrupt during the financial uh, contraction in 2008, 2009. They're doing it to themselves. What a minute. Hey, Bert, and now General Motors is going to do it to themselves all over again because they are dedicated uh, to, to to obeying Washington. Ugh, what a bad decision. That's but what the, happens when yeah. you have government dictating where the market should be influencing decisions. But, and I want to ask Albert. My, my opinion. Yeah, Just go ahead. My opinion. I'm going to short General Motors stock. Ah, well, what about uh, Thanksgiving? Also, before we let you go, Bert, I I, I saw this today. Uh, t- uh, turkey's up 31 percent. Bread 26 percent. How much more is it going to cost people to have a beautiful Thanksgiving tomorrow? Rita, Thanksgiving dinner uh, for 10, according to the American Farm Bureau, is $2.88, less than last year. But last year was an all-time high. So let's use the uh, Cass and Cosby baseline year of 2020. Consumers will be spending 25% more for their family Thanksgiving dinner this year than they did in 2020. Wow. That, yeah. That's uh, the well, only thing the, that's cheaper. The good news is, John, I know, the only thing uh, cheaper is fentanyl. About, the only oh, thing we, cheaper. <laughs> well, yeah, fentanyl is cheaper. Yeah, it's gone down. That's the only thing that's gone down. Yeah, it was $95. Yeah. Now it's down to $26. Right, thanks to the open border. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, go ahead, Brent. Real credit to John and Margot Casvatidis and Rita and the whole WABC team for giving out thousands of turkeys for people who are nutritionally at risk this Thanksgiving with uh, turkey meals. And Thanksgiving dinners and, and cost of living and staying alive are at all time high. Well, Bert Flickinger, thank you for all and, uh, uh, look forward to seeing you soon and God bless you and God bless America. Happy Thanksgiving, Happy Thanksgiving Bert. Bert. And same with you and your great team. Thank you. Thanks, Bert. And, uh, John, when we come back, we're going to talk about, uh, what looks like hours away. A hostage swap, if you will, but I thank goodness at least it looks like some hostages will be released by Hamas. If we can trust Hamas, uh, we're going to be talking to Ambassador John Bolton after the break. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats and Cosby on 77 WABC. And we are back here on Cats and Cosby. By the way, they're now saying that no hostages will be released before Friday and that the pause might not happen until either Thursday or Friday between Israel and Hamas. Uh, joining us now to talk about all of this is Ambassador John Bolton, of course, former U.N. ambassador. And um, Ambassador, wh- what do you think of this 
Um, first of all, we're hearing now it looks like it may be another 24 hours later. Um, Qatar's the sort of mediator between the two. Where is this headed? And is this a good path or a dangerous path? Well, I think even if the deal were implemented exactly as we've heard, which as you're just now saying, it may not be the case, I think it's a very bad deal. Obviously, all of us from a compassionate humanitarian point of view uh, are happy to see any hostages released. They're innocent victims of kidnapping, really. But the deal itself, at least as we understand the terms as they've been announced, it's a very bad deal for Israel. It's another swap of hostages, innocent victims for criminals that are in Israeli jails at a ratio of three to one in favor of the Hamas terrorists, uh, which is pretty unbelievable. And other aspects of the deal, uh, I don't understand why Israel agreed to them. I have to believe a big part of it is pressure from the Biden White House, which despite its early support for Israel's uh, desire to eliminate Hamas, has been backing away from that as rapidly as we can. And I think this deal is part of that pattern. John, this is Pete King. First of all, thank you for all your great work over the years. Uh, my concern here, uh, actually a lot of concerns, but I don't see how this ends good. I mean, the fact is that Hamas cannot afford to release all the hostages. If they do, they lose their leverage. And to me, once they hit a certain stage, then Israel is going to be in the position of having to attack, and many hostages are going to be killed. The world is going to turn against Israel. So I, I just don't see where this is going, and I don't see how it can end up good. No, look, I, I agree with all that. I, I think it's uh, just as an example, the, the Hamas commits to giving up 50 hostages over four days, and then they get another day of pause in the military action for every 10 hostages they release thereafter. Why would you ever give your enemy the deciding vote on how long the pause takes, number one? Number two, I don't see how this on net benefits Israel strategically. I'm sure the Israeli Defense Forces get some benefit from a pause. They get to regroup. They think through their next strategy. But fundamentally, time is on Hamas's side here. And the more time you give them, the more time they can move their people back from vulnerable positions, consolidate, hide the other hostages even more deeply in the tunnel system. I I just uh, I understand Netanyahu is under domestic pressure on the hostages. And again, I do understand the humanitarian concern. But there are 220 hostages and 9 million other Israeli citizens who are threatened not just by Hamas, but by Hezbollah and fundamentally by Iran. You know, that's a long time. Also, as you point out, I think there's like 240 and there's and uh, some Americans, by the way, uh, Biden was saying that he thinks maybe three Americans could be in this batch of 50. But just like you said, if it's this drip, 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 as Pete is talking about, um, and obviously, look, I, I'm going to have tears in my eyes to see hostages get out. I want them all to get out and come back home and safe. But at some point, I just see them saying, hey, uh, maybe we're not going to give 10 today. We're going to give three today. And that's a lot of that's days, delay, too. Delay, delay. Exactly. That's what's so yeah, scary. Of course. Yeah. No, this is this is uh, this is all plays into the Hamas narrative about uh, how it's Israel's fault and so on and so forth. And, and we'll hear more about uh, innocent civilians. I mean, I'd like to know how many of the civilians that the, that Hamas itself says were killed qualify as terrorists. They don't give us that breakdown, do they? No, they no. don't. You know, one of the things they did say last night um, when it was breaking, because I was on the air I, when it was breaking, and it, they said that the Red Cross might get access to all of the hostages. I thought if that if that is part of the deal, and we're not sure, but it was certainly talked about, that would be big because then they could say, hey, we're looking at all 240. Here's who, how the condition they are, how they look. 
uh, that would be big if, if at least that could happen to get proof of life, right? Well, I'd like to hear a lot more about what the Red Cross knows about conditions in those hospitals going back years and how much uh, appreciation they have of Hamas using the hospitals as, as camouflage. Uh, I think we have heard from the four hostages who have been released, which, by the way, to go to Pete's point, shows how they get dribbled out one or two at a time, only four released so far, is that after they were turned over to the hostage keepers, uh, their their care improved. They, they weren't being humiliated and tortured like they were on the days they were captured, because uh, it is clear that the hostages are bargaining chips for Hamas. This is just more one one more example of their cynicism and brutality. So to be valuable, the hostages have to remain alive. Uh, so their care goes up. That will be used by Hamas advocates to say, see, they're really basically humane people which is the the farthest thing from the truth. It's just to make sure they maximize their value in exchange for whatever it is Hamas wants, time, delay, you name it. John, who is the new uh, terrorist group uh, that took that Israeli ship as as hostage? Well, they're the Houthi uh, rebels in Yemen. And uh, they look, uh, the Houthis wouldn't have two rocks to rub together. Uh, if it weren't for Iran, giving them all kinds of capabilities, drones, missiles, uh, more conventional weapons. Uh, And it looks like, at least what I'm hearing, is that this particular ship may have been taken by the Houthis, but but it was assisted and directed by Iran, which has long had naval assets in the Red Sea. We're funding, it goes back to, we're funding Iran with their oil, and uh, they're, they're funding all the terrorist groups. Yeah, look, the more we learn here, and there's obviously still a lot we don't know, but every additional piece of evidence will point to greater and greater Iranian involvement and control. Well, John Bolton, have a happy Thanksgiving. Thank you so much for coming on, and we'll catch happy up again. Happy Thanksgiving to you, John. Have a Thanksgiving, John. Catch on and real soon. Thank Take you. care now. And what do we all stand for? Truth, Truth justice, justice, and the American, American way. way. Enjoy Thanksgiving. And me and Rita will be around. I'll be around tomorrow morning to do Sid's Rosenberg show. And, and we'll be uh, back at 5 At tomorrow. 5 o'clock. Me and Rita will be here live.